All right, so um, we are in a new series, um, and this series is going to last from last week all the way uh, until the end of Lent, so right up to Easter, and the theme is on healing. Now, last year, our entire year's sermon, uh, sermon series was to become rooted disciples, to become people who were imitators of Jesus to the point that when people were around us, they would be transformed because we were so much like Jesus. And so then this year, um, healing is going to be a big theme and that we talk about. And um, if you don't know, kind of the tagline at the village is healing the city one person at a time. We really believe that a community centered around Jesus um, produces life change in one another because we are constantly pointing each other to Jesus and Jesus is the one who transforms us. Um, and so we're going to be looking at healing. And in particular, what we're going to be looking at is a whole bunch of stories where Jesus encounters people and heals them. Um, and so we're going to kind of look at how he does that, what, what goes on around him, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so this is a cool little banner that we have for... Uh, that's the banner. That's the beginning. Um, but tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to look at Mark, I mean Luke chapter 4. The story is also in Mark chapter 1, but we're going to look at the healing of Simon's mother-in-law. Okay? And uh, Simon eventually becomes Peter, but we're gonna, this is really early on in Jesus' uh, ministry. So if you'll turn your Bibles to Luke, you have a Bible. Um, Today I didn't put the scripture up on the screen, so you can grab one of the black Bibles. You can use your uh, iPhone, Android, Nokia, whatever else, to get to Luke chapter 4. Um, but before we talk about Luke, I mean about uh, Simon having his mother-in-law healed, we're going to start with the story right before that. Um, and so we're going to jump in in Luke chapter 4, verse 31, this is really at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. Luke chapter 4, verse 31. It says, Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he began to teach the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his message had authority. Now, in Mark's Gospel, it tells us not only did his message have authority, but it wasn't the way the other rabbis talked, okay? Because in the time of the first century, it wasn't much different than what you and I experience on Facebook, okay? So if you get on Facebook, what you'll find, and this is, I'm as guilty as you are if you're on Facebook, is that a lot of us like to claim our experts, and we put them up, and we put our studies up, and we put up what we think, right? And so everybody has up what they think about everything, right? And we, from our politics to the way we deal with our health, we have all have opinions. And in fact, it's gotten to the point that somebody can put up a study, somebody can put up an opinion, and you begin to deconstruct their study, and you're like, how can they possibly know this, and who did the story, and what name is attached to that? And what happens is that you and I can conclude that we don't know anything, that nobody knows anything, right? And in fact, what we've done as a culture, and you can just see it sort of a, as a little social uh, sociology project is to look at Facebook, is you can see that we, have, we just don't know what we think. 
and we're at odds, and we don't even know how to know what's true anymore. We've deconstructed authority, and we don't like it. We don't like authority either. And so you can kind of see that play out on Facebook. Well, it wasn't much different when you got to the synagogue, because the rabbis were saying, well, this is what this rabbi says about this idea, and this is what this rabbi says about this idea. And yet, when Jesus shows up, yes, he spoke with authority, because Jesus was fully God. And so when Jesus spoke, he had that going behind him. So there was some of his authority. But probably what shocked people more than anything when Jesus spoke with authority was he was just saying, this is what God says. This is what the Old Testament says. And then, this is how I fulfill it, or this is what it means. But he was speaking... Not from his own authority, I mean, not from the authority of other rabbis or other people or other people's opinions. He was just telling what God thinks. Now, this is important in a culture where we're always deconstructing things and we don't know who the authority is. When you sit under somebody like me, it's easy to write me off. And you should when I'm spouting my opinion. But what you hope when you come here every Sunday and what I hope to offer you is Jesus' words. My goal here is not to give you my opinions, though there'll be times where I'll say, hey, I think this means this, or here's kind of way I think things are. But my hope is that as you come here, the authority that you hear is not me, but the authority of Jesus, the authority of what's said in Scripture, the way that Jesus approaches people, the way that Jesus says things, and how it strikes you. And you'll see how this is important in just a minute. But before we, we get there, I, I uh, forgot to offer an introduction. I just kind of blew my introduction. So let me just remind you about what Rod spoke about last week, because that would be important. Um, and that is that Rod said, when it comes to healing, and that's our theme, that healing, number one, is not you getting your arm fixed or it's broken and all of a sudden it's healed or you know, being healed from cancer. True healing is having Jesus come back and make everything new. But he did say that healing is evidence of the kingdom of God. So when someone is prayed over, or someone who's been wounded as, you know, had, had people do horrible things to them, and they've closed their heart off, and then all of a sudden they meet Jesus, and they can love, and they can care for people, that's healing, and all of that is evidence of the kingdom of God. So healing, in all its forms, is evidence of the kingdom of God. Every time you see that, you say, oh, the kingdom of God is showing. Okay? And Rod looked at Matthew 28 a little bit, I think. I only listened to his sermon once, and I always tell you to go online and at least listen to it twice, right? Because if you hear him in the service and you listen to it twice, then you can remember it because science says you've got to hear something at least three times, right? At least that's what they, some people's opinion on is, right? My opinion. You need to listen to it three times. I didn't, so I don't quite remember what he said. Um, but I'm pretty sure that he, he talked about Matthew 28, or at least he talked about how Jesus sent out the disciples. And he says in Matthew 28 that all authority in heaven and earth is with him, and he sends out the disciples to go make disciples. So those disciples went and made disciples who made disciples who made disciples who you're all here because of, right? Because they went out with that authority. And at the end of his statement to those particular disciples, he says that he won't leave them. We know from the Gospel of John that if you're a follower of Jesus, he gives you the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what the Holy Spirit is. If you ever 
In ancient times, when an army comes and to invade, they carry a standard. The standard is like the symbol of the Caesar or the king. It's what gives that army the authority to do whatever it's doing. You read Ephesians, you find out that the Holy Spirit's a marking on you. He's your standard. So wherever you go, you bring the authority of Jesus. So when we talk about healing, we talk about boldness, the authority that you bring to pray over someone, to walk with them in their pain and struggle, is the authority of Jesus. The same authority that Jesus is speaking with, because it's His, right? That He's speaking with to these people who are amazed in the synagogue. Now, quick side note, a synagogue ends up in a town if there are ten men. So if there are ten men who want a synagogue, you get a synagogue. You know why? Because if they give 10% plus, they can support the synagogue and the rabbi. So that's how it works. You get ten men, you get a synagogue. So he's in Galilee in the synagogue. And there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Ha! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. Okay, so, all of a sudden, Jesus is speaking with authority and a demon starts talking. Because if you read the Gospels, you start saying that, that the spiritual world really doesn't like Jesus walking around and they're trying to ruin things for him. Okay, Now, a lot of us, some of us who've been around following Jesus for a while, maybe we've experienced demons. We've experienced the spiritual world in a very dramatic fashion. Some of us have never even, you know, we're kind of the spiritual, I don't know, we don't get a sense of anything, right? We, we, so we don't know about the spiritual world. Some of us are like agnostic about the spiritual world, like, yeah, whatever. So it's very easy, no matter actually where you are, to read over this. Because a lot of times you're going to think, at least most of you might think, that's never going to happen to me. I'm not going to get possessed. So that's a neat little story. It shows that Jesus is powerful. Whatever. Well, let me tell you, when you're in a community and it's talking about healing, and it's talking about healing the city one person at a time, that's who we are, when we start talking about it, we have to have a starting point. So here's the starting point for all of us. This is the starting point. You may not end up having your whole life consumed by the enemy to the point where you don't have control over yourself like this man. But, in First in Peter, and Peter is actually Simon, the guy we're going to read about in a bit, Peter writes a letter after Jesus sends into heaven, and it's First Peter 5.8, he says that the devil is wandering around, basically prowling like a lion, looking for whom he can destroy, he can slurp up. It says, to seek and to destroy. And the reason that is, is that the enemy is all about destroying the image of God. And any way that the enemy can do that, he's going to do that. Now in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4, Paul, another apostle in his letter, talks about how our battle doesn't come with swords. We don't have like swords, we're not hacking anybody, we're not shooting anybody, we're not driving tanks. It's a spiritual battle, and it's a battle against strongholds. And here's the thing. All of us have strongholds. Every single one of you. Me standing up here. I have strongholds. What are a stronghold? A stronghold is an area in your life where you are committing idolatry. 
Idolatry is the worship of something else other than God. Okay? It can be as small, you know, as just at times your, you, your anger gets a little bit out of control or you say something mean. Sometimes your tongue. It, strongholds, and they always start to, they start out small, right? But here's, this demon-possessed man gives us a clue to knowing what our strongholds are. That when you come and, and the position that you want to be in, first off, the position you want to be in is be willing to say, okay, I do have strongholds and I actually need to come to church every Sunday and have the authority of Jesus spoken over me so that similar things will happen to me. And here's how it works. When you come on a weekly basis, sit in the service and the word of God is spoken over you and you begin to get upset about something. Sometimes it's not even about what's being said, but you feel upset, you feel angry, or you feel the urge to start undercutting what's being said, or you begin to get distracted and thinking about, oh, so-and-so over there, I need to talk. Whatever it is, what happened? You know you have a stronghold if that happens. And most often what's going to happen is I start talking about something and you get angry. Because the way you know I have a stronghold is that when people say that has to change in your life, that has to move, that has to be different, you say, no, it doesn't. No, 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 I can't live life without fill it in. I can't live life without my food. I can't live life without whatever way I'm medicating myself. I can't live life without you know this particular order, the way I get up, the way I do things, all these routines. I can't, without it, I don't have life. The first step to healing and the thing that where you become like the rhythm of healing in a community is your willingness to come here when you come through that door to say, okay, it's not about me, it's about Jesus. And what stronghold is he going to disrupt today? You should come through the door expecting to have the parts of your life that aren't in line with Jesus shaken up. And the more you're willing to hold them out like this, the quicker your healing happens. The easier it is to have them snatched. And here's what happens. This demon cries out in anger because Jesus is disrupting things with his authority. And here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, silence, some translations say. In NIV, he says, be quiet. The literal translation into slang is shut up. It's that emphatic. Shut up. Be quiet. Now, Nancy Reagan got a bad rap. When asked how people should resist drugs, she said, just say no. And people made fun of her because they thought she was minimizing people's struggle. The reason that people really made fun of her is because she was actually giving them biblical truth. And they didn't like it. That's what Jesus says. He says, no, be quiet. So internally, when you feel that disruption in you, when the authority of God is being spoken over you, when you're like, ah, oh, man, I know I need to change this in my life. I don't want to. And you feel the, that those voices inside, you feel your brain kind of getting distracted. You need to imitate Jesus. And you need to say, shut up. Be quiet. Get out of here. I need to listen. Right? Just say no. Like Nancy tells you to. It works. All right. So the people are amazed. Verse 36. All the people are amazed and said to each other, what is this teaching? With authority and power, he gives orders to evil spirits when they come out and the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. So what we see here is a demonstration of Jesus' power. And I have so many pockets. I don't know where I put the clicker. Here I am standing in front of people. And I got to check every single pocket. 
till I find the clicker. Okay, but here's the thing. Jesus demonstrates his power, but then in verse 36 it says, Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now you might just read over that and you might think, yeah. But here's the thing, a lot of times when Jesus demonstrates his power and you start reading his healing events or any kind of event in Jesus' life, you start thinking, hmm, I think Jesus floats. I think he floats from one place to another. He does a miraculous thing, and then he's at another place, and he does a miraculous thing. No, Jesus actually walked from the synagogue to Simon's house. He's human. And as we talk about the miraculous and as we talk about healing, the one thing you've got to remember is that Jesus is human. Not just fully God, but he's fully human, and he walks places. doesn't float places. There's no floating. And when he does ministry and he does miraculous things it's not like hey i'm going to arrange for this time to do this it happens at the dinner table it happens when he arrives at people's houses it happens when he goes to church it happens when he's out you know trying to pray on a mountain it happens when he's just having breakfast he's human it just happens while he's walking around while he's sleeping while he's eating while he's hanging out at other people's homes and so he heads over to simon's home and probably, it's Sabbath, he kind of got to talk at the synagogue, and now he's going for a meal at Simon's house. And Simon's probably pretty excited about this, because he has some things he needs to deal with. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent down over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. Now, when we talk about healing here, we're talking about a a whole set of things. Number one, we're talking about the heart. And when we talk about the heart, we're talking about the the place where the very emotions of who you are exist. The, 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 The sense of love and the sense of, like, the things that overpower you, like, of, of quick anger, of love, of, of joy, of excitement, of happiness, like that thing that happens in your heart down here, almost like you can't stop it. We're talking about those. We're talking about your heart. We're talking about your soul. Now, when we're talking about healing your soul, what we mean is your soul is the place that's you, where your personality is. Who you are is your soul. Your personality, the very essence of the Ericness, you know, or the rawness, or the rawness, you know. That's, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about soul. We're talking about mind when we're talking about healing. And the mind has a subconscious and a conscience, right? It's, it's, it makes, there's a present thing like you can think and, and you have ideas coming in and out and you have a subconscious. And what we're learning is, and you probably know this, but your subconscious controls first all your body. You don't like to say, you know, toe move or finger, okay, finger move now. I'm not giving commands. They just move on the, like there's, there's a subconscious. Well, subconscious does a lot of other things. They're all broken. Your mind, and it's both consciousnesses, your soul, your heart. But also, we're talking about your body. Right? We're talking about your arms and your legs and your back and everything about you. We're talking about your physicality. So when we're talking about healing, we're talking about all of those things. Now we have this woman who Luke tells us, different than Mark, that she has a high fever. It's a violent fever. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever had a fever, but when you have a fever, 
like you're cold and then you're hot. Then you have too many blankets. Then you don't have enough blankets. But and you try to get up to go to the bathroom and you just think, man, I, I, I'll, I'll fall down, then I'll get back up and go, and then I'll fall down again and I'll go back to bed. Like you just, you feel powerless. At some level you feel like this person, like your hands have just fallen off, right? Well, that represents all of where we are when we're broken and in need of healing. In our hearts, when, we're, when our emotions are, are wounded and, are, and, and broken and need healing, we feel powerless to be able to love, or we feel powerless to have control over our anger, or we feel powerless in our personality. Like We, we don't want to be shy, but we are shy. We don't want to like be like the smart aleck, but we're always a smart aleck. Like we, there are parts of our very personality that we're like, man, I just we feel powerless to do anything about it. When it comes to our mind, we're just like, if I could just stop having these repetitive thoughts, if I could just stop, and you know, you can fill in the blank. Your brain is a whole structure of value systems and ways of thinking, and then every single one of us, and you figure this out the older you get. You know, even if none of us have been in any accidents, we still are like, man, my back hurts. Oh, my. Like the older we get, the more we, our physical body breaks down. And then some of us, our legs have been taken from us. Our, you know, arms don't work like my wife. She, she has an elbow problem. She's had like two surgeries. Um, she's had every single expert, both, you know, in the medical world and in the alternative world. You know, she's had me dance around it and sing. It doesn't do anything. Like it doesn't work. It's not fully useful. She's powerless at some level to use her left arm. It hurts. Okay? So the position of being in need of healing is the position of powerlessness. And you and I have got to start, like if we're going to be a community that's a community that's about healing, and we've been this way, I've listened to a ton of sermons, I've been saying this for 14 years, we are a community about healing, we've had plenty of evidences of it, but that's who we are. If we're going to be that, then we have to be a community that just is willing to say, you know what, in this area of my life, I'm powerless. I'm powerless. I am the woman. I'm the mother-in-law. I'm up there. I'm cold. Things aren't working right. My brain is working crazy. You know, I preach some of the best sermons if I have a fever on Saturday night because I'm going over my sermon and man, it just turns out kind of weird, right? Because there's weird things in your, in your fever that you can come up with. Um, and so that's who we are. So that's one of the things that we as people have to admit that, hey, I'm just powerless. And that's a hard thing in a culture where it's, you've got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps or we actually just, we, we don't get, we don't actually feel our powerlessness. We actually become people who are ambivalent about our woundings and our, like, our power. Like, forget it. I just don't care. Like, I'm just going to ignore that. I don't really, like, that's not important. Whatever. Right? No, we have to be genuine. Like, we have to feel our powerlessness and we have to say, I'm just powerless here. I need healing. I need it here. It needs to be transformed. Now, in a community of healing, this little episode has something really good to teach us. And that is, is that because this woman was unable to speak really for herself or even knew Jesus was in her house, she needed people to come and give her voice. Right? She needed people to intercede for her. To be a healing community, to be a person who is a disciple of Jesus, imitating Jesus, we have to be people who actually call Jesus' attention to powerlessness. 
Okay? Now here's the interesting thing about this. She, at least from the text and from all the stories in the different Gospels, it doesn't seem that she actually says to her son-in-law, hey, I know Jesus is coming over. Could you send him over to heal me? Like, this is an intervention by the people who care about her. So as people who are followers of Jesus, your job is to call God's attention to suffering and powerlessness in one another's life. That actually means that you might need to be a little intrusive. That sometimes people aren't going to ask you to pray for them. But you have to be impacted by people's powerlessness enough that you're like, I need to give this voice. I need to call God's attention to this. Now, last week in Kid Vespers, I had 30 kids, and what we talked about was the persistent widow, which is a parable by Jesus, about this woman who needed justice, and there was this evil judge, and so she just kept bugging him. And finally, the evil judge is like, fine, I'll give you what you want. And Jesus said, the father's not evil. So if an evil judge will give what's needed in a place of someone's persistence, just think what the father who loves you and who's kind Right, as the little kid said up here when I was talking about father, will give to you if you're persistent. Right? So our job as interceders in a community of healing is to begin to say, God, look at my friend. Look at what's going on in their life. They need healing. You need to heal this. Can you do something about this? And not just once. Keep talking to Jesus. And even if Jesus says no, even if God says no, keep saying, God, you look, you got to do something. Right? you got to do something. We need to be interceders. Now, we also need to be willing to intercede quickly. And this is something that I would like us to begin to practice as a community and, and kind of pattern. We're going to practice sort of our spiritual medical life. Right? Here's how it works. If somebody shares a distress in their life, instead of being a typical villager, which is, tell me a little bit more about that. How did you feel when so-and-so said? What do you do when your arm won't straighten out? How does that affect the way you treat your husband? Before you ask all those cool villager questions, pray for them. Intercede and just say, you know what, there's something wrong here. Jesus, could you fix it? Could you do something about it? They need healing in their heart, their soul, their mind, their body. Then you can talk. Because it's good. Because healing happens in community and people talking and forcing us to talk about our pain and our powerlessness. It's good. But we need to be people who instantly intercede. Okay? We need to be people who are willing to give voice not just to the community, though. Not just to us, but to your neighborhood, to your jobs, to your grocers. We need to be telling people who are interceding. And you know what? When you People are always telling you about what's wrong with them. They're happy to tell you what's wrong with them. So you have a grand opportunity to say, you know what, I think Jesus might be able to do something about that. Can I pray for you? So here's the thing. Here's the code word for you. I'll just give you one code word. You don't have to do any of this healing stuff outside of this building unless you hear this code word. Something like, it's not going well. Any of you hear, it's not going well, or, or a derivation of that, then you're thinking, oh, Pastor Eric said, I need to be Jesus here. I will intercede. So that's your code word. If you hear it's not going well, or I'm not doing well, or, you know, Yesterday didn't go well, or something like that, or my leg's not doing well. It's your code. Oh, I'm supposed to pray. Okay. I want you to use that as your trigger. 
All right. Now, we would be remiss as disciples of Jesus if we didn't decide to try to imitate him. Right? If we didn't try to look at how he does the healing process and then imitate. So, if you remember in the story, he's told that this woman has a high fever and it says he goes over and he leans over her. Now you know everybody's looking at him and they're watching him. Poor Jesus. Jesus hardly ever gets to do anything in private. Right? He's always doing it in public. It should be a clue to you. If you're going to be a disciple, Christianity's not a, a, you know, a, a private faith. It's a public faith. But it's not a faith where you bang on people's heads it's a, and tell them they need to follow Jesus or they're going to hell. It's a faith where you're demonstrating Jesus to people. They get to see you be Jesus. So, Jesus in public goes over to the lady. I'm sure people are gathering around him. And he leans over her. In an ADD culture, this is a good clue for us. Because I don't know, if you're anything like me, and someone's talking to you and there are a lot of people around, it's distracting. Right? I have a hard time like, oh, I wonder what's going on in that conversation. Oh, that person's important. No, I wonder what... Oh, wow, that kid's like banging his head against the wall. Uh, uh, oh, oh. Focus. When someone is talking to you about the pain of their life, you need to say, oh, it's time to focus. It's time to hyper-focus. It's time to look at them, you know, stare at their eyes, stare at their mouth, listen, be intense, study them as they're talking about the pain that they're suffering from. He was just looking at her, it seems, and who knows how long he stood there examining her like a good doctor would. So the first thing is you got to focus, you got to take the person in. The second thing he does, and Luke, only the one who tells us this, is that he rebukes the fever. Now the word rebuke here is actually what he uses to rebuke demons. But I don't think that this is a demonic thing, and that he's rebuking a demon who caused the fever. But here's the thing. In our world, because of the fall, everything is broken. And just because it's not a demonic force, there is still an evil force that brings about a fever. There is an, it's a force that is slowly destroying everything that is good. And so when Jesus stands over it, Jesus actually goes beyond healing it. He rebukes it. He says, you dumb fever. Get, you're stupid. No, right? Get out of there. It's over, fever. You're done, right? Now, this is a clue because here's how a lot, now, not, I, I know this church well enough to know that not all of you grew up in the church. In fact, a lot of you didn't. And then the other set of you uh, grew up in the church and then you were like, I don't like the church and so you left it for a while and now you're here or whatever. You have, we have varied stories. But we all, kind of when we start praying for somebody, we kind of pray like this. We pray like, well, Jesus, you know, this person's got a fever and if it's your will and the stars align, could you fix the fever for us? Because we know they may be trying, you may want them to learn something about suffering with this fever. So if you don't want the fever to be taken away, then don't take it away. Please don't pray like that anymore. Jesus has shown you how to pray. Now you can pray this in your own way. You don't have to do it in a good Pentecostal way, though they do it really good. You know, and they're saying, fever, go away in the name of Jesus. You can say that. Or you can say it in your own way. But you must take hold of the authority and the standard of the Spirit of God in you and say, you know what, fever, this is not the way it's supposed to be and you need to go. Now, here's the cool thing. 
it's not up to you to heal anything. It is only up to God to heal. Okay? Now, it doesn't have to even be physical things. Everything that you and I struggle with, we need to pray with authority into people's lives because there is a force of destruction and, and, um, and just kind of a, a devaluing of humanity in sin. And so when you speak against it with authority, you're saying the kingdom of God is here, fever. And though you may not go away at this point, I want you to know who's king. It's not you. It's not you, fever. It's not you, broken leg. It's not you, you know, damaged heart. It's, it's not you, anger, whatever it is. Now, it's up to God to act. And He'll make His choices on how He wants to do that. Okay? Now, the story goes on. And the third instruction comes in here for us. So let me quickly read that to you. When the sun was setting, and this is important, it was Sabbath, and so nobody could actually carry their sick or do any kind of work until the sun had come down um, and Sabbath was over. So the sun was setting, because Sabbath is their day of rest. The people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sicknesses and lay, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, you are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. Now, here's the key. And it's also in the Gospel of Mark. Um, but that is, when, when Jesus heals the mother-in-law, Mark tells us that he helped her up. And then when Jesus is healing all of the people, it says that he laid hands on each one of them. So the third instruction that Jesus gives us as disciples who are about healing, and, and remember Rod told us when talking about the gospel coming forward, is healing is evidence of the gospel, all kinds, um, is that you and I have to have a physicality about the way we approach people. Okay? Now I don't know all, think all of you like, I know all of you don't like to be touched or touch. Some of us love touching, like my son up here, he'll give everybody and anything a hug if they give him permission, right? Because he's a hugger. Right? Some of you are like, no. Right? But touching is important. So that if you pray for somebody, there is something about putting your hand on them, touching their blouse, holding just even if you just like, you know, touch them with your finger like that if you don't want to touch them. But no, there's something about saying, I care enough about you to put my hand on you and make a declaration. Because this is what my Savior has done for me and for those behind me and all around me. So the three things that Jesus instructs us, number one, to focus. Number two, to speak with authority. And number three, to actually touch people, to be engaged physically. Now, there's one more part in this passage. <laughs> I just like that picture. I thought I'd get a laugh out of it. And that is <laughs> that the way that this woman, this mother-in-law of Simon, responds to healing, right? This mother-in-law gets up, and what does she start doing? She starts cleaning and starts serving. Because the very essence of who she is, is to serve. Like, that's what gets her excited. Now, here's the thing. A lot of times, the things that make us powerless, often because of the enemy, because of choices we've made, because this is the crappy world, but a lot of times, it just goes right at the thing that God has actually created us to be. And that when you're kind of in your powerlessness, you think about the way you could be. So if you're a person who's shy, maybe, 
that really God has a great big voice for you in the kingdom of God. And your shyness is a place that the enemy and, and your own chemicals and everything else is pushing against that thing. And so if God steps into your life, and I believe because of the cross and because of the resurrection, there is substantial healing available now to you and I. Sometimes God says yes, sometimes God says no, but there is healing in our heart and in our soul to walk with Jesus. And when you're healed, when, you're, when your shyness goes away because God, you ask God for it to go away and it does, or people have walked with you for a long time and helped you, whatever it is, go do the thing that God's created you to be. Use your voice. Speak loudly. Right? So when you're in your powerlessness, one of the ways that you can have hope is to think, in the midst of this, what might God be calling me to? What's the opposite of this? <laughs> What's the good part that this thing is damaging or this thing is hard for? So if maybe you are somebody who's walked through a lot of abuse in your life and it's just hard to open up your heart. Well, I bet you that you have the gift of mercy. I bet you that you're the one who loves deeply and the enemy has just pounded you down. And go on and on. But here's what I want to say tonight, and then I'm going to pray. I'm really excited about this year. And I think that God's going to do some really powerful things. I think that some of you are actually going to find out that you have the gift of healing, physically. I think that some people might get physically healed here at the village. So you should get excited about that. I think that what's going to happen is that a lot of you are going to walk in freedom in places you haven't walked in freedom, including myself. And here's what I want to give you as an inspiration. I want us all to be the mother-in-law of Peter. I want us to, as soon as we taste that healing, to get up and do the thing that God's created us to do. Be excited. When God heals you, or you're in the process of healing, yell it out. Say, I'm being healed, everybody. It's not all, we're not, it's not complete till Jesus gets here. And any kind of physical healing is temporary because you're all dying. I promise. That I know for 100%. You're all going to die. Including me. So, so healing is only a temporary announcement of the kingdom of God. Just like our suffering is a temporary announcement of the suffering of Christ. Right? So, I'm excited. And before I close, I'm just going to tell you that I had to spray paint our, the sinner's chair. Now, that we used to have a black chair back there, and it's called the sinner's chair. And that chair came from this idea of Martin Luther. Now, Martin Luther, 500 years ago, started the Protestant Revolution. And what he did was he took out the confessional from behind the curtain, and he put it out front. And he said, people need to confess in public, and we need to pray for them, and we need to sing for them, and we need to care for them. Because this is a hard world, and we've got to get away from the secrets. And we've had that for 14 years. But, Rod and I, after driving eight hours to and eight hours back from California and praying and talking and, and having God just speak to us, I think, we'll see, we felt like I was saying, it's time to make a shift as a community. It's time to be about healing. We're still going to be about confession if you need to confess your sins over there, because that is part of healing. Um, but that's the healing chair now. And so during the time of music after the service, or after the sermon, you can go back there if you need healing. You need physical healing, you need healing in your heart, your mind, your body, your soul, or you just need to confess your sin. Go sit in the chair that looks like the Red Cross. 
right? Go sit in it with the, it took me like five or six cans of spray paint, it felt like, to get that thing white after it was painted black. Please go. Now, here's the thing. If somebody goes and sits there, don't, don't sit there for a while because everybody's facing forward, but people look every so often after a song. Go look back there. Oh, somebody's back there. I need to go pray, okay? So that's my, there's your opportunity to practice what we're talking about. All right, so let me pray, and we'll kind of move along. Father in heaven, thank you for sending your Son who could walk before us and give us hope and who's coming back to make all things new. Jesus, we just ask that as we sing and as we eat together, um, that you would help us to, to be powerless, to be interceders, to people who speak with authority. Help us to be all those together as a community. I ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen.